Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Joining me today is Nate Palmer, Research Analyst for Software and Information Technology Services, Assistant Portfolio Manager on Diamond Hill's Long Short Strategy, and the Sector Leader for the Information and Telecommunications Services team. Nate has been with Diamond Hill since 2009, and prior to joining the firm, Nate worked as a tax consultant at Deloitte & Touche. Nate is a graduate of The Ohio State University, where he received his undergraduate and graduate degrees. Nate is also a CFA charter holder and CPA. Today, Nate and I will be discussing Nate's recent industry perspectives piece focusing on WNS Holdings. Thank you and enjoy. Nate, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so in conversations with other portfolio managers that I've had on this podcast, you know, we continually revisit our investment process, one that is focused on intrinsic value, searching for businesses that can be purchased for meaningfully less uh, than the present value of the future cash flows of the business. The example of WNS Holdings is a bit different in that the opportunity arose from the fears and uncertainty surrounding Brexit. Your analysis still determined WNS Holdings to be trading at a discount, but it came from a different approach than we would normally take. Is WNS Holdings a company that you've been familiar with in the past, and what does the company do? WNS is a business process management company. Business process management is a form of IT services that uses expertise of specific business processes and industry verticals to allow clients to achieve improved efficiency and operational flexibility. There are definite similarities to more traditional business process outsourcing, but I'd say that the business process management companies have a greater strategic focus, and while there's a cost savings component, there's an emphasis placed on making the client's business more insightful and more competitive, rather than strictly focusing on cost reduction. There are plenty of examples of us following businesses for many, many years before ever making investments, but WNS was not one of those situations. WNS caught my attention after the shares declined in response to Brexit, and it appeared to be trading at an attractive price relative to the earnings power of the business at that point in time. When I first started digging into it and saw that over 40% of the company's revenue at the time was generated from UK-based customers and its largest client was a UK-based insurer that accounted for over 10% of revenue, I thought the business might be statistically cheap for a reason. But as I dug further into the business, I came to believe that due to the non-discretionary nature of the services they were providing, Brexit would not meaningfully impact the ability of the company to grow its revenue base, earnings power, and the intrinsic value of its business. Stated a little differently, the value proposition to both current and prospective clients of what WNS is providing is pretty favorable regardless of the macro environment and regardless of whether companies are investing aggressively into their businesses or focused on cost reduction. So there there have been a lot of changes with regards to Brexit over the last last two or three years, really, but really accelerating into the end of last year um, with the election on December 12th, um, really the change in in political power with Boris Johnson kind of consolidating his power. How closely are you following the developments of Brexit uh, and how does that impact your estimate of intrinsic value? Yeah, I'd say I'm most focused on how Brexit impacts our investment thesis. You know, there are plenty of elements of Brexit that are interesting and geopolitically important, but not particularly impactful to WNS's business. I'm focused on whether incremental Brexit developments are going to impact the ability of WNS to grow its revenue base, grow its profit base, and grow the intrinsic value of the business. In this particular investment, my belief was that WNS would be able to continue to do these things very successfully in a variety of Brexit scenarios. 
I think it's important to understand the areas in which we're likely to have an analytical edge and the areas in which that's unlikely. I think as a research team, we're pretty skilled at valuing businesses and tend to follow macro developments to the extent that they impact these individual businesses. So one of the pillars that we talk about a lot on the podcast is uh, of the Diamond Hill culture is the long-term nature of our investments. You know, when we're examining stocks or bonds, we're looking at them in the lens of a five-year time horizon. WNS Holdings is a great example as we initiated our position, if I'm remembering correctly, in late 2016, early 2017, right around when, when Brexit was, was really gaining some steam. Um, and that was based on our estimate of intrinsic value at the time. From a broad standpoint, how has a position performed since we purchased the company? And has our estimate of intrinsic value changed as time has moved on? With most of our long-term investments, the investment returns a combination of the narrowing or closing of the initial gap between price and intrinsic value and the growth of the intrinsic value of the business over the holding period. In the case of WNS, the initial discount to intrinsic value was important because we would not have made the investment unless we were able to purchase shares at a discount to our estimate of intrinsic value. However, growth in the intrinsic value of the business over the holding period has been the more significant driver of the investment return realized in Diamond Hill Strategies. The company's revenue base is approximately 50% larger than when I initially valued the business, and management has been disciplined in achieving operating margin expansion and prudently allocating capital. One of the strengths of Diamond Hill is our research team. Successfully valuing a business is crucial to the process, and the analysts are the drivers of that valuation. Can you run me through the process of analyzing a company like WNS Holdings, looking beyond the numbers and figures to illustrate the level of understanding we expect to achieve when analyzing a company? I like to say, and I'm sure this is a bit of an overstatement, but we want to understand the businesses we invest in well enough that we could operate them if we had to. To be clear, we're not activist investors and we're not seeking to operate the businesses, but we want to take a business owner and business operator mentality to valuing businesses and evaluating potential investments. You know, there are a variety of reasons why a business may become mispriced or available at a discount to intrinsic value. We want to try to be looking in areas where things are likely to be mispriced. Doing great fundamental work on businesses that are fairly priced is unlikely to result in strong investment returns. We want to do strong fundamental work and strong valuation work on businesses that are actually mispriced. In the case of WNS, we wanted to really understand the value proposition to the client. I needed to understand the value of process experts and the value of industry-specific expertise. Additionally, I needed to understand how WNS's business compared to the businesses of peers and how they were likely to compete going forward. So you mentioned peers, and that flows right into uh, my next question. Um, can you compare your evaluation of WNS Holdings with a similar IT services company like Cognizant? Yeah, you know, Cognizant's a business that we initially became involved with in Q3 of 2016. Um, you know, to preface the whole discussion on Cognizant, we made a little bit of money relative to our initial purchase price, but the stocks underperformed the market over that time period, and it has not been a successful investment so far. In the case of Cognizant, over 60% of their revenue is generated from the financial services and healthcare industry verticals. And there have been some industry-specific things that have impacted each of those verticals. In the case of financial services, the low interest rate environment has been a headwind to budgets within um, banks and insurance companies. And within healthcare, M&A has impacted IT services spending uh, across the industry. There have been some cognizant specific issues as well. There was an activist investor that became involved and really 
increased the emphasis on margin expansion, and that seems to have impacted the revenue growth trajectory of the business for, for some period of time here. Uh, the company's also mismanaged some client relationships, particularly within financial services. We believe that the current fundamentals are below normalized levels and that once Cognizant's able to get the business back to normalized revenue growth and normalized operating margins, the market price will more accurately reflect the intrinsic value of the business. Cognizant has a new CEO who seems highly focused on the same things that we are. Ultimately, we ask ourselves, did we get the fundamentals right? And so far, the fundamentals at Cognizant have come in below my projections. On a going forward basis, it's still to be determined, but if my expectation of future fundamentals is approximately right, I think Cognizant currently trades at a discount to the intrinsic value of the business. And in contrast to WNS, in which the opportunity was created because of Brexit and excessive focus on macro events, the Cognizant investment thesis is much more focused on a belief that the current fundamentals of the business are below normalized fundamentals, and a belief that as Cognizant addresses some company-specific issues, shareholders are likely to be rewarded for being patient and willing to look past just near-term fundamentals. So Nate, one of the one of the purposes of these podcasts is to to review literature that we've put out there to provide additional insight, but also to provide additional insight into our firm. Um, you're the sector leader for the information and technology services team. Can you walk me through some of the similarities and differences between your team and the other teams at the firm? Definitely. I'd, I'd start by saying that the overall objective of each sector team is the same and. That's to identify long opportunities that traded a discount to intrinsic value and short opportunities that traded a premium to intrinsic value. But there are certainly some nuances that are specific to each sector team. When you're looking at technology companies, it's probably the area in which a deep value strategy is the least likely to be successful because many of the businesses that you'd end up owning with a deep value strategy in tech would be broken businesses that are becoming less and less relevant with the passage of time. Don't get me wrong, there's an appropriate price to pay for almost any business, but in the case of broken technology companies, that price is often very, very low. And that's because the technology industry is so competitive, and once a business finds itself in a weak competitive position, that can be very difficult to get out of. So I think industry-specific knowledge is at least as important in technology as in any other sector. And as we've thought about team structure, we believe deep industry knowledge is particularly important in tech. And part of that is because deep industry knowledge can be necessary to just understand what many of these businesses actually do. There are a lot of technology companies for which you read the business description in the 10K and without possessing a fair amount of foundational knowledge and industry-specific knowledge, you still don't understand what the business really does. And I'd say really understanding a business in some legitimate depth is just the starting point for successfully valuing a business. We view the complexity of technology businesses, though, as an opportunity. If we can combine deep industry knowledge with our intrinsic value-focused investment philosophy, we believe we'll be able to identify some really attractive investment opportunities. So digging a little bit more into that estimate of intrinsic value, how often are the, the analysts revisiting those estimates? You know, is there, a, is there a schedule? Is it predicated on the markets or company events like earnings? You know, how often do we dive back into a company and say, okay, intrinsic value we determined is X. Now there's, there's additional news. Let's recalculate to see if it's changed. Yeah, yeah we, we update our estimates of intrinsic value at least quarterly as companies report quarterly earnings. And sometimes if there's relevant information that becomes available intra-quarter, we'll update our estimate of intrinsic value more often. 
we make very specific fundamental projections. And as time passes, these become observable data points. And so as we get incremental information with quarterly earnings reports and sometimes with industry data or data from peers, you know, we're evaluating those projections that we've made in the past to determine, you know, how accurate they were. And then we're asking ourselves, you know, did we get the fundamentals of the business right? And what are our best projections of the future fundamentals of the business? I mean, ultimately, our estimates of intrinsic value are dependent upon us getting the future fundamentals of businesses approximately right. So how does the analyst team, and, and I think this WNS Holdings is a really good example of how the macro can impact how we view a company. Uh, how do the analysts maintain a balance between you know, the analysis of the firm, that bottom-up uh, analysis determining that level of intrinsic value, how do they balance that with the impact of macroeconomic events? I'd emphasize that a crucial part of valuing a business is considering how the operations of the business are likely to fare in a variety of economic environments. We may invest in economically sensitive businesses, and we may invest in businesses that have little economic sensitivity, but we need to understand which is which and make sure that we invest at the right price. To me, the, the price you pay is the single biggest determinant of the investment return that you ultimately generate. You can identify the greatest businesses in the world, but if you pay too much for those businesses, you're likely to be disappointed in the investment return that you ultimately generate. So I'd say that we focus on the extent to which macro events are likely to impact individual businesses. That's very different, and in my opinion, an easier task than making accurate, broad macro forecasts. At times, excessive focus on macro events by other market participants can create opportunities for us to invest in businesses at a discount to intrinsic value. You know, I think our investment in WNS is one example of focusing really on the value of a business and the extent to which some of these macro events you know, may or may not impact the business you know, created a pretty attractive investment opportunity. One of the things that we try to do is, is with these podcasts, we want to share information. Mm -hmm. Is there something about you that people may not know? Something, uh, not a secret, but just something mm -hmm. about you that, that maybe the listeners don't know as they try to get to know different members of the firm? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think different members of the firm kind of come to value investing in different ways. Um, I sort of found the, you know, Berkshire Hathaway materials and started following Warren Buffett and some other value investors back in high school, but I was also pretty focused on, both my parents are CPAs, and I was pretty focused on the accounting career path. And so when I was in college, I, I double majored in accounting and finance, and mm. um, my first job out of school was actually at Deloitte in public accounting. And, you know, there was a lot of good learning that took place in that role, but uh, I realized pretty quickly that, you know, what I was most passionate about and most excited about was investing. I'd you know, work the long public accounting days and then go home and read investment materials at night. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so maybe that reveals that I'm kind of a nerd, which is accurate. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, it was a pretty good indication to me that, you know, I should, you know, pursue a career in, in investing. And, you know, I, I felt pretty fortunate that back in 2009, uh, which wasn't exactly the land of opportunity right. looking for investment <laughs> jobs, um, Diamond Hill gave me an opportunity to join and, um, you know, kind of develop my skill set over time. And, you know, so that's kind of how I came to value investing and um, get, to, get to do this every day now. And you orchestrate the, the firm trip every year to, to Berkshire's annual meeting, which I've gone to twice. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to take my dad to it last year, um, which, was, which was really amazing because it's something he'd always wanted to do. How many times have you gone? 
I, th- I believe I've been 12 or 13 times. Wow. The first time that I went was my freshman year of college. I went out there with my dad. Oh, okay. And we've been out there together several times now. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I, when I joined Diamond Hill, there was, you know, there was a group of people who went out to the meeting, but it wasn't really coordinated. I mean, you know, some of us would talk, uh, during the workday and realize that, oh yeah, we're all going to be out in Omaha during the weekend. <laughs> but, um, you know, we'd sometimes we'd see each other. Sometimes we wouldn't, but, uh, you know, as the firm grew and, you know, we sort of realized, Hey, there's probably an opportunity to formalize this somewhat. And, you know, for the past many years now, we've had a, you know, kind of a firm dinner of every, yeah. every, everybody from the firm who attends the meeting on, uh, on Friday night, will get together for dinner and, uh, you know, we'll be lined up early in the morning yep. uh, to try to get try to get decent seats. And, um, you know, it's just I think it's kind of a fun camaraderie building trip. Um, you know, there's a fair amount of excitement around uh, value investing out there and, yep. and evaluating businesses. And um, it's just become, you know, kind of a fun thing that happens around the firm. All right. Well, Nate Palmer, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed it. It wasn't too painful. Yep. Thank you. Uh, and we'll hopefully have you on again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thanks. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.